Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> this is so exciting. There are people in the building. This is awesome. Welcome. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, guys, I just have a quick question. Where is the online audience? Straight ahead? Is that the, okay? I always, people always say, hey, you didn't look at me the entire time, and I, 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 I don't know where you are uh, if you're online, but, uh, and I'm still, you know, I'm staring at the camera, but don't worry, I can't see you. So uh, you're okay uh, online, and we're glad that you're joining us. Uh, it's exciting. I don't know if you can see, but we've, we, this is an exciting day, and, and we have people in the building. Um, that being said, uh, those of you who don't feel comfortable joining in person, man, we totally get it. I, you know, we know some people who aren't going to come until they get the vaccine. We have other friends who will never get the vaccine. Maybe they won't ever come back. I don't, I don't know. You know, but, but um, they may be online forever. But we understand. It's fine. Whatever happens, we're, uh, this, is, this is a God thing that's going on, and so, so we're good, and we, we trust God with all that's going on and ask for uh, his help and blessing while we go through this as a, as a church, as a nation, and as a world. So um, we're just thankful to be able to be here today. I want to I, I talk to you about Alpha for a moment um, because I want you to understand how much it plays into what I believe God is doing in us and where he's going to take us. I've been, uh, I guess, probably for three or four years now, I've been paying attention to this whole alpha thing. Uh, Nikki Gumbel in, uh, in Holy, Trin Tr Holy Trinity Brompton in, in London started this. Uh, his picture was on that last uh, video. And um, amazing man of God. And and uh, he has, he, as he put this all together, it was really to give the church a new voice to build a spiritual foundation for people and have a way for us to, to, within our own culture, be able to reach people with the message of Christ. And uh, before we brought it to you, we wanted to understand it more. I can't say that I do yet, except... I know enough that this is going to be a powerful tool for our church. And uh, if you've heard me talk over the last couple of months about uh, what I believe God's doing, Alpha is a huge component of this. And my hope is that everybody who's part of our church will go through this. In fact, Pam and I have already signed up to, to be in a group. We're not leading the group. Uh, they, they didn't trust me with that. So uh, we're in a group. And, uh, and I'm excited because I, I want to, I just want to learn more. But I want to just give you a couple of things that, that uh, has been shared with me and that I know about Alpha. First of all, um, as a church, we're not necessarily equipped very well to reach people for Christ. You know, the, the whole idea of, of going out on a street corner with a, a sign or something and a megaphone is, you know, I've done that. Uh, not in this city. I, I had to move from the place that I did that from. But uh, we've just never been good at it. Alpha's going to give us some great ideas, some great thought in this matter. It gives us the opportunity to explore the Christian faith in an environment that's pressure-free and respectful. This is, in other words, if people come to Alpha and they are not believers, they can do this and be safe. They can they can hear the message of Christ, they can ask questions, whatever they want to do, and, and it's good, and it's encouraged, and, and it's healthy. I think it's, it's, it's extremely healthy to be able to do that. It speaks to everybody in the room, no matter who you are. You could be a, a long-term believer, uh, you could be somebody who just became a Christ follower, or you could be um, a seeker, somebody who doesn't really have any faith right now. You, you could be from anywhere, but this is going to be very relevant. Um, we also believe that this is going to be a huge foundation for development of your faith. A lot of times, um, in fact, this is how I learned and became discipled. It was you just had to catch stuff flying through the air. And, and, and there was, uh, I, 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 early on, I did not have a great foundation to build upon. I went to Sunday school my whole life. I, you know, I had all these things going on. But I missed some real key components. And so Alpha gives us a chance to 
look at our own foundations and say, hey, is this working? Is, you know, do I understand this? And be able to communicate that to others. So Alpha begins, I think it's the first of February, the first week of February, goes to April 30. It's about 12 weeks long. Um, you can sign up by texting my herd to, I don't even know what that means, uh, my herd to 85775. You can go on our app uh, and sign up, and you could go on to our website, destinychurch.info, and sign up. Now, along with this, I asked Grace to um, take a moment to share with us uh, something that's exciting that goes with this. And for those of you who are believers, I want you to really pay attention to this because this could really involve and affect you. So let's take a look at this uh, thing that Grace has wanted to share with us today. As you are all aware, we know and believe that prayer changes everything. When we spend time with the living God, we see him do extraordinary things. And that is why we take the first 21 days of each year to seek the Lord with prayer and fasting as a church. Come the beginning of February, we are going to launch all Alpha small groups. We believe God is going to use Alpha to change our hearts and the hearts of our community and ultimately build God's kingdom. But in order to do that, we need prayer. We've learned firsthand, Ryan and I, that when we give our daughter a gift and it's missing batteries, that is a huge disappointment. And so we believe it's the same thing with launching Alpha. If we launch Alpha and invite all of you to join us, but we don't have the batteries included, then we're going to really miss out on seeing God's power. And those batteries is prayer. And so Luke 11.2 says, this is Jesus praying, says, when you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And we're praying for God's kingdom to come here on earth. So at 11.02 each day for the rest of our 21 days, we want everyone to pray for our city and three people they know to come to Jesus. So number one, write down the names of three people you would like to see explore their faith. And number two, set an alarm at 11.02 a.m. as a reminder to pray for these three people. And number three, be open and expectant to see how God might use you. So join us as we seek the Lord to see life change in the hearts of those around us. Most important thing that she said to me was it was 11.02 a.m. Um, I am not hearing from God after 9 o'clock p.m. for most nights. Um, hey, we started a series last week. Well, I don't know. If, actually, we started a series a few weeks ago, but uh, we started in a new um, time of, of reflection and direction from God last week looking at Acts and the book of Acts and what God wants to do within us as a church, Brody gave us a, a, an incredible foundation coming into this. And um, there's so many, th I had so many notes from, from his message. I, I messages. I thought they were, were so good. And I, it gave me a lot to work with as, as we restarted the book of Acts uh, last Sunday. And um, I talked last week, we, we were in chapter one, and we left the disciples and uh, followers of Christ and 120 people in total in this upstairs room of a house. It must have been a really big house. And um, they're there praying. They're waiting. They want God to do something. They don't know what it is. I mean, they, everything that they thought was supposed to happen fell apart. They had no clue what God was wanting to do. I think there's value in being in that position. I think it's, it's a, it, sometimes it's just an absolute awesome place to be. What are you doing, God? And I'm, my part of 21 days of prayer has been my prayer for that is, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? What do you want to do? And so we, you know, I, I, people, you, you know me, I, I have so many ideas and visions and thoughts and everything, and it's just part of my personality. I try to kill it, but it's, it's still there, you know, and Pam tries to kill it, and it's still there, and it, it's okay, uh, but this, what God has for us, I would have to tell you, I don't really know. Not a great leadership statement, but I know who knows, and that's a great place to be. And so as a church, as our friends, that's where we are. And so go on the journey with us. It's gonna, I think it's going to be um, exciting. Uh, I know he has a plan for us, for this church. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, you know, um, 
I don't think we know all the, of what it is, but I will say this, that over 21 years, we've been building a pretty decent foundation for God to be able to do something uh, next. And so that's why we're here. So we're like the people in the, in the room, 120, I don't know how many we have here today, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it, let's, just, let's just say we're in the room. Chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And we, hear, we all hear these people speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. That is a great question. What, what can this mean? I've often wondered what people, uh, believers, people that are in church and read, read Acts chapter 2, I wonder what people think about this passage of Scripture. I mean, what do you think? I would say that a lot of people I know think, well, that was, that was a kind of a cool thing. It was good. Um, good for them. Uh, I, th I think people would say, I don't really get it. What, why, why did this happen? Um, I, you know, you know, I, the, the other thing that's very perplexing is that Scripture teaches us over and over that what happened is something that we need. And that's, that's mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing. Now, and you're talking to somebody who grew up in a Pentecostal church. Now, I don't know if you know what a Pentecostal church is. If, if when I tell you this next phrase, you'll, you'll get it. Holy rollers, chandelier hanging, um, Jericho marches, that kind of, you know, crazy stuff, okay? I get it. I, I understand. Um, there, there were a lot of crazy things that happened. I mean, I, I'm a, I guess, I'm a third generation Pentecostal in terms of, of my history. My, my grandfather was a Pentecostal. I'm going to talk a little bit about about where we come from, uh, my father, and I, I guess I just inherited it. Um, but uh, you have some crazy stuff. But in the middle of the crazy stuff, there was incredible substance. There was I, I don't um, dismiss the value of how I grew up in, as far as a Pentecostal experience. I don't dismiss that because... Outside of the craziness, there was some amazing things that happened in my life that I look back on and I'm like, what an incredible heritage. And so when I read Acts chapter 2, I don't sit there and like, what, what is going on? But I have to think about that because I know that a lot of other people question that. And so I thought, let's just get in this because... I feel like part of where God is taking us has something to do with Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 and, and right on down the, the line here. So I want to talk a little bit about where I come from and what I'm talking about in Acts chapter 2. In the 1900s, uh, a man by the name of William Seymour started a mission uh, that was um, called Azusa Street Mission. And 
this guy was, um, he was the pastor or leader of this mission. And when you hear mission, like in the 1900s, basically what these were, were, were places where people who were strung out on, on alcohol, uh, mostly alcohol, uh, came to get food or survive, have a place to stay. So that's what this was. It was like a homeless shelter with preaching. And, um, and so uh, William Seymour uh, was not famous. He did not, not a lot of people knew about William Seymour, but he was a very godly man, a very, uh, he loved Jesus. And he was very smart, very intelligent, educated. And, and, and he, and you, you can read about him, it's just amazing about his life. But he and six or seven other pastors were in the mission one day talking about what God wanted to do, and they were praying. And all the reports, and I've, I've read it from you know, a dozen different places, all the reports are that they had an Acts chapter 2 moment. It was incredible. Now, you have to understand the setting of religion in America in 1900. We were basically a, a evangelical, uh, actually more, not, not evangelical, ecumenical uh, nation. We had a very strong Anglican background and uh, Catholic background. There were, there were churches, but they, it was nothing like we know today. And so something crazy happened at Azusa Mission on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, and it exploded. And I want to just read something that uh, I discovered in, that was written about William Seymour. It says, hundreds of millions of Pentecostals around the world, including those in the Assemblies of God, that, that's my old denomination, Assemblies of God, view Seymour as a spiritual father, he would probably be surprised by the attention as during his lifetime he was often marginal, marginalized even within Pentecostal circles. But listen to what they said about him. But his persistent encouragements toward holiness, humility, racial reconciliation, and evangelism continue to shine as founding ideals of the Pentecostal movement. For me, this guy is a spiritual father or grandfather to me. I came from who he was. It's an amazing thing to, to think about. I want to introduce you to somebody else, Cornelia Jones Robertson. Her, her uh, uh, nickname was Mama Jones, and she was part of the Azusa Street uh, explosion and she, she came out of these meetings and began to plant churches. She set the, the, the pace for church planting. It's an amazing thing that happened. Now, um, I don't know if you notice anything unique about these pictures, but my spiritual history is black. And it is, it is so powerful to me to realize that this is this is where I come from and I it this it was just to give you an idea of what God did in and through this during this historic time there was such a move coming out of the Azusa Street revival that there were two large church organizations denominations we would call them today that were founded coming right out of this. It was a group called the Church of God in Christ and the Assemblies of God. And they walked as brothers and sisters right down through the United States. It was something, I mean, again, um, the, the country was not as evangelical as it is today. It wasn't as, as charismatic as it is today. It was it was kind of spiritually dead. And this, this amazing thing started coming across our nation. And, and these people at Azusa Street 
were the people that God used to put this together. It wasn't until 30 or 40 years later that this divide started to happen. And this is not part of my sermon today, but our goal needs to be to do this again because we need each other. And the end, I don't have to say anything more about it other than it needs to be high in our prayers and high on our agenda. So um, the, uh, <clears throat> the way it worked is uh, people just started coming out of California with this message. They, would, they were going all through the United States. It hit Chicago, it hit New York, and it hit this little place in Flintstone, Maryland, which is just on this side of Cumberland, Maryland. And um, there was an incredible tent meeting. I, there's, there's so many funny stories about what happened in, in, in Flintstone, Maryland during this time. And I, I don't have time to share with you. Some, sometime I ought to just talk about it with you because it, it's hilarious and powerful all the same time. But through that, my grandfather became a Christ follower and he started a bunch of churches, six on his own, and then probably another six with other people that he helped. And um, then uh, my dad, of course, uh, grew up in the faith, and it just ran downhill, and here we are today. And um, so <clears throat> I just wanted to fill you in on a little bit of history, give you, give you a little picture of something that you may not think about every time you walk into Destiny Church or you've had interaction with us like, where do these people come from? Some people say that to me now. Where, where are you coming from? Um, but what is this all about? What is going on here in Acts chapter 2? What is it that happened in my own history? What is, what's taking place? And um, I would start by saying this. One of the most frustrating things in all the world is trying to do the work of the Spirit in our own flesh, in our own strength. We're supposed to live a transcendent life, a life that is filled with the, the love and, and joy and power of God. We're, we're, our treasures are to be planted in heaven. We are to, to infect the world with the message of Jesus Christ. We know that the only things that last are the things that we do for our Lord and Savior. That's all that lasts. That's all. We are eternal people. So we're given this treasure and we're given this commission. And it is frustrating when we try to do this in our own strength, in our own power, in our own ability. And we need help. A lot of help. So for that, God's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. This thing that's happening here in Acts chapter 2, this thing that happened in Azusa Street and has happened around the world at various times, God has given us this gift. So I want to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit and how it affects us. Uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit isn't a, a steamy cloud. The Holy Spirit is a person. I think sometimes we, we lose track of that. The, the um, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the Bible teaches us that these are the persons of the Holy, of, of the persons of God, the Trinity. The, God is a part of the Trinity. Jesus is part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity. So the, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person to be worshipped, a person to be sought, a person to reverence. And the Holy Spirit, from everything we can read from studying God's Word, works in three different ways. Now, I, I, I wish we had printed notes for you, but we're not printing notes, and I, I didn't put anything online because I, I didn't actually come up with all this until last night sometime right before the Redskins imploded. That, I mean, Washington football team, sorry. Um, three things. Number one, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's a, 
paraclete, he's with you. Before you were even a believer, the Holy Spirit was with you. Think about that. Think about the design that God has on your life. Think about the design that God has on every life. And the Holy Spirit, when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is with us, it's on all people. He is with all people. His job is to convict. His job is to direct. His job is to try to, it's a thing that when you don't know Jesus and you're going through a mess, you're like, I need help. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, yeah, you do. And, and, and sometimes we hear the Holy Spirit, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes we have to get in bigger messes and bigger stuff, and, 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 and even in the, you know, the, the, the worst of times. And then some people hear, ah, I need something, and I, it might be God. Many of you are probably in that category where you would say, oh, yeah, that's what happened. That's what took place. That's, that's what I felt. Somebody said something. I, in my case, uh, it was my dad preaching a sermon when I was a little kid. I'm like, I need Jesus. You know, just a little child. You know, and, and it wasn't my dad. I didn't like his sermons. They were so long, like this one's going to be. But, and I didn't listen to him. I, I didn't go to sleep because my mother would pinch me so hard. And I didn't talk. So I just sat there, mindless. And God spoke to me. The Holy Spirit's with you. Second thing the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, that's not for everybody. When we become Christ followers, the Holy Spirit dwells in them, dwells in us. It's, it's what God does. And when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in much of his writings, he's talking about the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Different than the account that Luke gives in Acts chapter 2. So, so Paul, let me just read a, a passage of Scripture. <clears throat> He's talking about the Spirit who dwells in you, this person of the Holy Spirit who is in us. It's to give us power over sin. Because we all know that we don't have power over sin by ourselves. Again, let me, let me come back to this idea that is very frustrating, the most frustrating thing in the world. If, you're, if a work of the Spirit needs to be done and we're doing it ourselves. And so he gives the Spirit, and, 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 and he dwells in us. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, Galatians 5, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so... If there are areas of our lives, I'm sure we all have these, where <clears throat> we haven't yet <clears throat> experienced deliverance from sin or the power over the sin that Paul says so easily besets us, if, if, we, haven't, if we haven't experienced that, then we need to recognize that we need to have some interaction with the Holy Spirit who is in us who dwells in us, and he has an incredible gift to give to you that if you will wait in the upper room, if you will pray, if you will put Jesus first in your life, your thoughts, your devotions, you're going to see deliverance from sin. There is no sin that can control you or has full control and it leaves you powerless if you are a Christ follower. You don't, we don't have excuses, folks. All we have are reports of perhaps our lax amount of devotion to God and our failure to put him first in our lives. But 
inside of that is amazing power. Now, for the most part, in Christianity, that's where the Holy Spirit works and resides and ends. Um, in so many ways, and this is a confession. Well, let me see. I've got to see if I wrote something in here about confession. Yeah, I did. I'm not going to talk about it right now. Okay, I'll be back. Number three, he is with you, he dwells in you, and number three, he comes upon you. He comes upon you or over you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is different, the different act of the Holy Spirit than what Paul is teaching. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to give you a picture of what that looks like in people's lives. Let's just take some of the people, two people, for instance, of, who were in the, uh, that upper room moment. Let's, just, let's take Simon Peter. He's such a great target uh, for us to, to just throw darts at. Peter was a mess. He was a disaster. He was always doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. He, he wanted to do right, but he was a bull in a china closet. And, and, and he's just a person that, that you, you tolerated. You, didn't, you don't know if you want him around. Um, you know, if, if he were uh, in our church today and he says, hey, give me a job, maybe you'd put him in charge of middle school boys because he cuts people's ears off. I mean, he, he's just good, you know, with stuff like that. But he does stupid stuff. He denied Jesus three times. When you look at what Judas Iscariot did and you look at what Peter did, on the outside, Peter looks even more guilty than Judas Iscariot. I mean, that was him. Now let's look at him on the other side of the Holy Spirit invasion in his life. I just want to read a couple of scriptures. I, I highlighted these this morning. Um, Peter and John, this is in, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John are, are, this is after they've been baptized in the Spirit. They're, they, they're going to the temple to pray. And you know the story, many of you do. There's a crippled man that's been crippled from birth who sits outside of the temple gate. Somebody picks him up, carries him there every day. He's sitting there begging for money and food. He has, no, he has no way of earning a living. And so Peter and John are walking in the temple. I'm sure they've walked past him many times because he was there every day. They walk up to the temple gate and he asked for some money and Peter just looked at him and said well I, we don't have any money but I'll give you what I do have and he said stand up be healed and he took his hand and he picked him up and the guy starts dancing and jumping and going crazy never walked in his life he goes in the temple he's making a, a big scene and, and the, the temple leaders are freaking out. You're not supposed to make people better. What are you thinking? And, and, and so they're, they're upset. And, and then they said, you know, whose authority did you do this? And so Peter just begins talking about Jesus and about how Jesus came to earth and Jesus lived and Jesus died. And the thing that really ticked them off is, and Jesus rose again. Now, at this time in history, prior to this, when Jesus was on earth, the Pharisees were in control uh, of, of this, the synagogue. It, it's kind of like our country, right? You, we had the Pharisees. But at this time, it was the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they, they didn't believe in afterlife. They didn't believe in the resurrection of, of anybody. And so they're really angry. And they start threatening, threatening them. And so Peter, it, well, they asked him the question, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then it says, Peter, listen to this, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, 
but whom God raised from the dead. That is not the guy who hid and denied Jesus. This is an entirely different person. Same body. It says the members of the council were amazed and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. See what the Holy Spirit can do for a person? What he could do for Paul and Andrew and Peter and you and me. James, brother of Jesus. Um, James was in the upper room. James was, at best, a reticent follower of Jesus. In fact, all history teaches us that James, and, and, and James was son of Mary, right? And uh, as was Jesus. Um, we don't know all the pieces of that puzzle, but he was Jesus' younger brother, not divine. And so there, I'm sure there was a resentment. How would you like to have Jesus as, as your brother? You know, <laughs> Mom, Jesus told a lie. Yeah, no way, right? You, you look, you're going you're gonna to lose all the time. You're just going to lose. That's no fun. No fun to have Jesus as your brother. Um, and, and, and then when Jesus started saying crazy things to people who could kill him, they were like, hey, don't listen to him. He has lost his mind. He was good at one time, but he has just gone off the edge. You just, just forget about him. Let us take him home. We're going to tie him up out back or something. That's, that's how they felt. And, and, and all of his, actually his mother and his siblings, they were all in on that. That was James. But when Jesus came back to life after the crucifixion, James had a whole different picture. Now, he was still hiding in the background. What am I, what do I do with this? First of all, imagine the guilt that he must have felt and the pain, kind of like Peter. After the resurrection, and after the Holy Spirit moment, Jesus turned the electricity on in James' life. And he became one of the greatest preachers. He became the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Whenever there was a problem that happened out in Laodicea or, or Phrygia or any of the other places, and, and people would come back to report and say, here's what's happening with the movement out in these places. What do we do? It was James who stood and would say, here's what God wants us to do. He, um, he, he never referred to Jesus that we have any record of as his big brother. He always referred to him Self, from that point on as a slave to Jesus. Think about the work that God did in his life. And eventually James was martyred. I believe he was beheaded. Just what God does is powerful. What the Holy Spirit can do is powerful. So these are just a couple of examples of what God wants to do in us. And so he gives us Acts chapter 2. Now, I have to tell you, this is my confession. I, I walked away from this for quite a while. I left my denomination, and I still have so many friends in that denomination, I, it, including the hierarchy of that denomination. I'm connected. I'm well connected with them. But I left them primarily over this holy spirit issue because I had seen while I, I, I had such a thankfulness in my heart that I grew up the way I did and and even with the weird stuff I, I struggled because I didn't want I wanted to reach people for Jesus and I felt the crazy stuff would get in the way and it truly would 
But I realized that I threw the baby out with the bathwater because Acts chapter 2 is still in there. I can walk away from anything, but that's in there. And what is that about? And what did I miss? What needed to happen? And so over time, over some time, God has begun to work in my heart and my mind, and I begin to think, okay, if it's there and I've got problems with it, it's me. And it's, it's my understanding. And it's missing the point. See, back when William Seymour was doing what he was doing, back when the revolution came across the country, there was power. There was, there was, it wasn't about all the fun things people got to do in a church service. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with reaching people for Christ. The very thing that I wanted is there, but because of the methods or formulas or whatever you want to use, it all went away for me. And I perhaps gave away what could have really helped. And so I've been on a path back. So here are some things I want to share with you, just three things that we're going to close with today um, that I'm discovering, have discovered, and I'm beginning to think this is what all of this chapter 2 looks like. First of all, it's not a formula. It's an encounter. So Acts chapter 2, you know, they, everybody started speaking in tongues. And I won't go into too much of this except my whole denomination at one time believed the only way you could ever have the Holy Spirit as a gift is to speak in tongues. And I was taught that. And as a kid, I'm at the altar praying, God, give me your Holy Spirit. Give it to me. And nothing would show up, right? And I'm begging and I'm pleading. You, you know, when you give your kids a gift, do they sit there at Christmas on their knees begging and pleading, please give me the gift, and their parents are holding it? No, nah, no, nah, you're not good enough yet, or you haven't done enough. It, that's, that's, how, that's what my thinking was. God, help me. And so I remember this one time I was praying out loud, God, would you please? And somebody came up and started shaking me like this, God, filling with your Holy Spirit. And I tried to say something, but I couldn't talk right. It came out weird because the guy's like shaking my head off. And they thought I had the tongues. He's got it. <laughs> that is no joke. And I knew I didn't get it. I knew that I was going to die if I didn't say I got it. That's not right. There's something wrong. I'll tell you more about that later. But I would say that to say this. This isn't about a formula. It isn't, it isn't anything about what we ever made it as a denomination and as I made it in my life, it was about a special encounter with God. Billy Graham <clears throat> talks about this. Um, he, was, he was already famous. He was speaking and traveling across the countries and, and um, he was in England went to Wales. He had a, a big tent revival that he was going to do in Wales. And um, he got into his ho hotel room and he met this guy and great guy and they began to pray. And he, he according to his story, he, he said he never came, came out. In fact, he's got a whole book on this. It'd be great to read. You know, after he passed away, I, I, I'm sure that book is being reprinted over and over. But, but he was... Um, he was talking about these two days, and he said he just had this encounter with, with God that he had never experienced before, and he didn't do any crazy stuff or speak in tongues or anything else like that. He wept. He wept for two days. He had such an interaction with God and his spirit. He was broken. He was humbled. He was in love with everybody. He, he, it's really fun to read the reaction and response 
And he went out to preach the next day in Wales, and that's when the explosion of Billy Graham took place. The, 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 whole, the whole area that he was in, people from all over flooded the place and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And then it was just one mission after another after another. So, you see, it's not a formula. It's something that happens when, when you've spent time waiting on God. You've spent time praying. You've spent time seeking God. You've spent time letting God work in you and begin to change you, and you submit the things that are rebellious in your heart. You give them to him. That's when he begins to work in you. In my life, it was a progressive thing. It wasn't a one-time moment. So again, formulas. It's not that. Here's the second thing. It's not a single occurrence. When you start reading about the Holy Spirit on, throughout the, um, the New Testament, the, the writers are always saying, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, it, it, it indicates a continuation. In other words, be continually filled. I know a lot of Pentecostals who spoke in tongues sometime, and, and some of them I truly believe they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I saw them later on, and they were just as nasty as they were before Jesus. I'm telling you, it just, it's not a one-time thing. We are to be continually filled with God's Spirit over and over and over again. Uh, John Piper, he's, he's a, an amazing theologian. And I'm always interested in what he's ever written. And he wrote about this very issue. He, he's an incredible proponent of Acts chapter 2 and feels like the Pentecostal church is onto something, take out the crazy stuff, is onto something that really could change the church in America. But here's what he wrote about this, this one thing. He says, the kind of empowering that we receive in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an experience that we need again and again. Number three, I already referred to this. You don't have to beg for it. It's a gift. It's a God encounter. You wait for it, you pray for it, and he gives it to you. Now I'm really going to bend your mind for a moment. Rachel uh, gave our, uh, our devotional yesterday for um, uh, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And um, uh, she said something that I just can't get out of my head because I want you to see what God can do. So let's take a look at this. Something I learned from another children's pastor recently that I've been in contact with, just trying to learn and grow um, a phrase that their church coined or uses, I guess, I don't know if they coined it, but there is no junior Holy Spirit. And that has really stuck with me. So what that means is the same Holy Spirit that I have, that you have, if you are a believer and have accepted Christ, is the same Holy Spirit that a child has, that a, five, a believing five-year-old has. So that means they have the same power, same authority over the enemy. They can speak, the Lord can give them prophetic words. They can perform healing. The Lord can, can use them to heal. The Lord can give them visions. The Lord can help them dominate the enemy, can help them have power over darkness as a child, okay? There's no junior Holy Spirit. That gets me fired up and excited about the next generation um, and helps me helps me just, you know, reevaluate how I think about them um, and wants me, or help, helps encourage me to want to empower that spirit, not limit that spirit. Um and so all that to say, yes, I hope to make changes in our children's ministry. I hope as a church we can champion these children, that we can take ownership of these children and raise them up as a church body, raising children, raising kingdom kids who know who they are in Christ, without a doubt. I, that just blows me away. I, I, I've just been thinking about it since she said that yesterday, nonstop. What, oh, my gosh. This is for real. And what can happen in the lives of our children and our, our youth and us, the, the thoughts to me are just amazing. And so I wanted to give you this today 
And um, I, I am hoping and praying that you will begin to think about Acts chapter 2 in an entirely different light, that you would consider praying that God would fill you with his Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we, we find ourselves in very weakened conditions, very, very difficult situations. We don't get better. We don't change. We don't, nothing begins to, you know, isn't going anywhere in our lives for this very reason, that we are not operating by the power of God's Spirit. And so we're going to sing a couple of songs. I'm going to ask the band to, to come on out. Um, and uh, we're going to take a couple minutes here to worship. And just um, in this time, begin to just open up our hearts and, and begin to pray and ask God to, to change us, to fill us, to to not only be with us, not only be in us, be, but be over us. Father, thank you for this day. Um, I pray that we would really begin to grasp this. Lord, I know that many of us are in the middle of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And Father, for those who who are just carrying that right now, would you use those prayer times to invade our hearts and minds. I pray for others who are sitting on the sidelines right now, um, but should be in a different place, that you would be nudging them toward Acts chapter 2, that they could begin to put you first. They would allow you to give them power over sin, as we all ask, and that you would fill us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.